You know, these days, maybe more than ever, we need what was just sung. We need the mind of Christ. We need his way of seeing things. I mean, here we are on the first Easter Sunday in human history where churches around the world are empty. How do we wrap our minds around that? Why would God allow such a thing to happen? What, what good could come of that and of a whole lot else? What good can come of what's happening to you during this coronavirus pandemic? Well, the Christian answer to questions like that has to do with the empty tomb, with what we celebrate today, with the resurrection of the one who's now knocking at the doors of our empty hearts, and he's doing this the world over. Because he empties us for a reason, to make room for him so he can turn things around from death to life. I'd like to talk about uh, today about the difference the resurrection makes for the Christian. If you're not a follower of Christ, it's the difference it can make if you become a Christian, if you begin a relationship uh, with him. I'd like to share with you what it will do for you with, and with everything that you have to go through in life without exception. And that is this. He can bring a whole new fullness of life to your emptiness. All of your coronavirus afflictions can be swept up into the power of his resurrection. Some of you are already experienced that during this crisis. But on the other hand, some of you aren't. You're worried about putting food on the table, maybe. Kids are driving you crazy. You feel like you're stuck on Good Friday, you might say. Just like Christ died on that day, you feel like you're dying too. Maybe it feels like a Groundhog Day. <laughs> Remember the movie how Bill Murray gets caught in this, this time loop on Groundhog Day, so he has to keep reliving the same day over and over again. That's what it's like for a whole lot of people who are sheltering in place. And it's the story of what life can be like like sheltering in place on Good Friday, on a cross of suffering that will never end, or so it feels. But if you know him, sooner than you may think, it will all turn into Resurrection Sunday. In fact, it will happen again and again. And with the mind of Christ, you'll uh, write this as a banner over all your trials and tribulations. It's what I've called this message. It's also uh, the title of another message that I'll tell you about in a bit. It's a banner that says, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. I'd wager that all of you are watching this for different reasons. Some of you have tuned in because it's the thing to do. It's Easter. It's traditional. Maybe you just happened on this video looking for something religious to watch on Easter. Maybe someone sent you the link, a friend or someone who really cares about you. Maybe somehow you, you end up being here uh, two or three months from now or a year from now, long after Easter. But under it all, could it be that God brought you here? Maybe you stayed away from church because of, uh, of sermons, of sermons like I'm delivering right now, sermons that would never end. So today, I don't want to waste your time with a Longhorn sermon. Ever heard of them? Texas Longhorn sermons? Those, those are the, our long sermons with a point here and a point there and a lot of, yeah, a lot of bull in between. <laughs> today, I'm going to do what I said I'd do two months ago before a sermon that I thought wasn't going to be very popular. And so at the very beginning, from the get-go, I said, I'm going to make like the chicken that decided to lay an egg on the freeway. Ever heard of that chicken? 
The rooster said, well, if you insist, go ahead, but here's some advice. You better lay it on the line and you do it in a hurry. <laughs> That's what I want to do today. Noble. Just lay it on the line and not waste your time. We're going to see today that, that Easter is like the little boy who said, I love Jesus. At Christmas, he's born and I get presents. I get presents on his birthday. At Easter, he dies and I get chocolate. But it's even better than that. We're going to see today that Christ's death and resurrection means that he turns things that are incredibly bitter in our lives into something incredibly sweeter, infinitely better even than chocolate. Like one man wrote, the Son of God suffered and died and rose from the dead, not that we would no longer suffer, but that our sufferings might be like his from death to life. That nails it. The passage in the Bible I'd like to look at today is in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Paul makes a list of all the things that he's lost in life, things that he turned from when he came to Christ, things that seemed so important to him but really weren't all that important in the ultimate scheme of things, just like many of the things that we hold on to aren't important as well. All the Jewish things that he held so near and dear. This is the New Living Translation. He said, For I was circumcised... Uh, when I was eight days old, having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish family that is a branch of the tribe of Benjamin, so I am a real Jew if ever there was one. That was a big day in certain circles back then. What's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest observance to the Jewish law and zealous. Yes, in fact, I harshly persecuted the church and he, re he received many kudos for that. And I obeyed the Jewish law so carefully that I was never accused of any fault. That was unbelievable back, back then. He gave all that up and more, or at least it seemed like a lot to him at the time. But then he goes on to say this, I once thought all those things were so very important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the priceless gift of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may have Christ and become one with him. We need to turn from things to make room for him, things that aren't always all that important. We do need to turn from some things, from things that we hold near and dear, that maybe are like God to us, or from our independence, from living life as though we were God, or from our pridefulness in what we do, forgetting that our every breath comes from Him and all our abilities, or from our self-righteousness, our own sense of goodness, when only God is good. <laughs> you can't be married more than a few months or a, a few days to see that. That's why Paul goes on to say this in the next verse. I no longer count on my own goodness or on my ability to live rightly, but I trust Christ to save me, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul was not able to save himself from himself. None of us are. He went through a lot of conviction over his lack of goodness, over his wickedness. He went through a lot of personal affliction as he thought about what he had done to people. Like, like you might feel right now, looking at some of the people you've hurt or some of the things that you've done by what you've said or 
done to maybe those who are nearest and dearest to you. But then by faith, he looked to Christ to save him from all this. And he went on to experience the resurrected Christ, a resurrection of God's goodness through him that transformed all his relationships and his life. When he became a follower of Christ, he went from Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday. And he says this kept on happening after he became a follower of Christ. Death to life, suffering to rejoicing, groaning to glory. So much so that he goes on to say, essentially, I want more of this. I, to know him and the power of his resurrection and uh, the fellowship of his sufferings that makes that possible. The power of Christ's resurrection is very closely connected in Paul's mind with the fellowship of his sufferings. He's in us. We're one with him. And so his pattern becomes our pattern. And so important is this that Paul repeats that in the very next line in a different way, just so we'll get it. Being conformed to his death, he writes, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. What he's saying is this, and listen carefully. When I suffer, now that Christ is in me, it's no longer for nothing. It's in order that. It's all in order that something far better will happen. And it happened to him again and again. There are many more resurrections in Paul's life where God turned his suffering into something far better. And then he had a final resurrection at the dead end of death into the hereafter to be with Christ forever. Paul got a whole new perspective on pain because now he sees that in Christ there can be such incredible gain through pain. So much so that in another passage, he says that life's pain is not worthy to be compared to the gain that it produces. He calls all that he now suffers in life, he calls it a light momentary affliction compared to the treasure that it now produces in this life and in the life to come. All because God reamed him out and filled him up with his resurrected son. Just as we read, I've left the lot behind so that I may have Christ and become one with him. And this is true for every follower of Christ. And as a result, if you have the mind of Christ, you'll put a comma after your suffering now and not a period. Try to let it sink in. It means that it's now the fellowship of his sufferings, not just the hardship of your own sufferings, that we're no longer alone, that we now have him as a partner in all we suffer, a partner who does something through what we suffer by his resurrection power after the pattern of what he suffered from the cross to the empty tomb, from death to life. It means that all our trials and tribulations are now swept up into the power of his resurrection. Because as I begin by saying, the Son of God suffered and died and rose from the dead, not that we would no longer suffer, but that our sufferings might be like his from death to life. It means that all our agony now happens on Good Friday and it's all headed toward Resurrection Sunday. It means it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's like an old song 
uh, that, that we used to sing. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. Just like it says in the Bible, it says he makes everything beautiful in its time, especially for those who come to him. Everything. He guarantees that he will turn even the worst of the worst into the best of the best. He guarantees that none of it is for nothing anymore. Do you remember the song Dust in the Wind way back when? I know this dates me. It was a song that hit the charts back in the 70s that was written and sung by the band Kansas. It was on their Point of No Return album. Some of you know that Kansas appeared on the Billboard charts over and again for over 200 weeks throughout the 1970s and the 1980s. They played to sold-out arenas and stadiums all through North America and Europe and Japan. They, they, they produced nine gold albums, three multi-platinum albums, one other platinum studio album, and one platinum live double album. That's a lot. But in spite of their success, it didn't mean much to them. That often happens once you get to the top. And they had a yearning for more, just like Paul did. And so they wrote what ended up being the million-selling single, Dust in the Wind. It sold so much to so many because there's a yearning for more around the world. The chorus, as many of you know, goes like this, Dust in the Wind. All we are is dust in the wind. All we do crumbles to the ground. It's all for nothing. Though we refuse to see, don't hang on. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and the sky. Everything is dust in the wind. Is that true? Does it have to be all for nothing like dust in the wind? Does the pain have no purpose? Is it pointless? Well, the answer that our culture gives the philosophical answer that our culture is grounded on is in our atheistic, naturalistic worldview is that it's ultimately all just blind chance and there's no God. And so it's all for nothing. And that's what our feelings can tell us too. That's what our circumstances can say to us. It's all for nothing. And I can relate. It's what I felt like when I graduated from high school. My father had died when I was uh, six years old and I became a very depressed little boy and the, the whole world became empty. Twelve years later, they asked me to do the senior class speech at my uh, high school graduation and I decided that I had to be honest. Little did they know. So I gave a speech about how meaningless life was, how it's all for nothing, or at least that's the way I felt. It ended with a quote, a famous one from Shakespeare's Macbeth. After all that Macbeth had gone through, after all the foolish things he had done, after all the sound and fury, after he was left with nothing, Macbeth said something that, that maybe you felt, or maybe you're feeling it right now. Maybe that's why God brought you here. He said, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death, dust in the wind. Out, out, brief candle, 
Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, the famous line, full of sound and fury, signifying, and here's the word again, nothing. End of speech. And on that happy note, I began the rest of my life. Dust in the Wind began, uh, went on to become one of my favorite songs. But little did I know when I gave that speech that it wasn't the end of the story, though I thought it was. It was a long story, but I'm here to tell you today that Christ raised me from the dead. He is alive. The naturalistic, atheistic worldview is not true, and I know that from my own experience, as do millions of others. He raised me from the dead, just as he did two members of the band Kansas. Jerry, uh, Carrie uh, Livgren, who wrote the song Dust in the Wind, and Dave Hope, another member of the band, both of whom became born-again Christians a few years later. He took all that was so sorrowful in their life and mine and turned it into something truly beautiful. And now I'm praising God for the worst of the worst, for my father's death, looking at all he did through it, and if there is any life in what I'm saying today, it's because of his death. If there's any power in what I have to offer, it's because of what I suffered, thanks to him. And there's so much more that he brought out of that death. And all of you who know Christ as your Savior have your stories to tell too of the power of his resurrection through the fellowship of his suffering. And this can be true for any of you. Listen to me. Whatever your affliction, it's not a dead end if you just come to him. doesn't matter who you are. Your background may be Catholic or Jewish or Protestant or Mormon or Buddhist or Baptist. Your, your background doesn't matter. This isn't religion we're talking about. I'm talking about a relationship with someone who is alive, with Jesus Christ who died and rose again all to do the same in you, to be a savior from the penalty and the power of sin and to be a partner in all that you suffer with resurrection power, with the true meaning of Easter, with his fullness through your emptiness. Maybe you're barely hanging on and you've been discouraged, depressed, maybe even despondent. The pressure and the stress has been building up in you this past week or month, you feel totally overwhelmed. I think God brought you here so he could say to you, give it all to me, let it all go, and let me make something beautiful of your life. Would you say, Jesus Christ, I give you these problems I'm facing? If you feel on the inside that you'd like to say that, if you'd like to pray with me right now to him, why don't you bow your head and close your eyes and say, Dear Jesus, say it after me. I give you my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Forgive me for what I've done with it. Thank you for dying on the cross for it. Thank you for what you can do with it. Fill me now. Come into me and fill me with your resurrection 
power to bring life out of this death. In your name I pray, amen. What difference can the resurrection make? Well, let me lay it on the line one last time and then I'll get out of the road in a hurry. A professor I know belongs to a black church in West Philadelphia, the same church where he grew up as a boy. He's as white, he said, and as Anglo-Saxon as you can get, but he loves this church and they love him. He said he got a preach there once and it was just not going anywhere. You know how it is when a preacher's dying on his feet? Some of you have seen that with me. I know how it is. In many black churches, they'll let you know how you're doing and that can be a mixed blessing. He said he was about three quarters of the way through the sermon and some lady in the back yelled out, help him, Jesus, help him, Jesus. He said, I thought it wasn't going well, but I sure knew it then. There are advantages to preaching in white churches. You can think you're the greatest preacher in the world and not know any better. Ignorance is bliss. But good or bad, they'll let you know in those churches whether, and when you're good, they go crazy, Tony said. The deacons in the front yell, you know, preach it, brother. Preach, man, preach, preach. And all the men uh, in the back uh, go, uh, go, keep on, brother. Come on, keep on. And the women will wave their handkerchiefs and they'll say, well, well. He said another time that happened when he got up to preach. He was good. He said, I, I, was, I got so good, I wanted to take notes on me. They were with him the whole message. And he came to the end of that message, and the place, he said, went bananas. They went crazy. And he sat down next to his pastor, and the pastor squeezed his knee and said, You did all right, boy. To which Tony, who was a grown man, said, I hate it when he calls me that. <laughs> and he turned to his pastor and said, Pastor? Pastor said, Yeah. You gonna be able to top that? Pastor said, son, you sit back because this old man is gonna do you in. Tony said, I didn't figure anybody could do me in that day, but the old guy got up and he did me in. What did he say? Well, let me tell you who he was first. He's the one who preached the sermon that I shared with you last week, that's my king. Except it was uh, S.M. Lockridge. Yeah, S.M. Lockridge did him in with one line. For an hour and a half, he preached essentially one line over and again. And here it is. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Tony said he started nice and soft. He started with, it was Friday. It was Friday. And my Jesus is dead on the tree. But that's Friday. And Sundays are coming. Somebody yelled, preach, brother, preach. And he started. Friday. Friday, Mary's crying her eyes out. The disciples are running in every direction like sheep without a shepherd. But that's Friday. Friday. Sundays are coming. Tony said, man, we started to pick it up then. We were going, well, keep going. Friday, 
Friday, they're looking at their lives and saying, as things have been, so they shall be. Nothing's going to change. Nothing. You can't change nothing in this world. But they didn't know that it was only Friday. Sundays are coming. Friday. Friday, people are saying darkness is going to run my life. Sadness is going to be everywhere and forevermore. Ain't nothing going to help me. But they don't know it's only Friday and Sundays are coming. He kept doing that for an hour and a quarter, hour and a half. One line over and over again until they went back and forth, him and the congregation. He'd say, Friday congregation would yell Sundays are coming Friday Sundays are coming Friday Sundays are coming just like we say on Easter he is risen now I can't hear you but I want you to say it like you mean it after I say it again he is risen yeah he is risen indeed and then at the very end he yelled Friday and they all yelled Sunday's a coming and with that the old man did him in Friday there are a lot of Friday people out there today maybe you're one of them you've lost your job your marriage is on the rocks. Or maybe two or three marriages are behind you now. Maybe you've got a son or daughter who's fallen away like I did for so many years. Or you, you hate your work, but there's nothing else you can do. Or you lost a loved one like happened to me, and it's punched the life out of you, and nothing feels important anymore. Or some sickness is draining your life away, or you're just depressed and life feels like a slow death. Maybe it's been Friday ever since you sheltered in place and it's getting worse by the day. Well, I'm here to tell you today that if you know the risen Savior, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is in you, as Paul said, all that is just Friday. And as sure as that cross is now empty, Sunday is coming therefore under it all those who have the mind of Christ know that this is the case because they've experienced the risen Christ in their own lives and they know that this is the cause this is the cause of Christ to bring life out of death not just in you but through you for the sake of a dying world. When you see all that he's done and all that he can do, you'll give him your life so through you he can further his cause. It's like the song goes, for this cause I live, for this cause I die. I surrender all, just like we saw Paul did. I surrender all for the cause of Christ, all I once held dear, I will leave behind. For my joy is this, O oh, the cause of Christ. Amen. Let's listen to that song.